So what are some of the trends we're seeing with breach notification and also class action lawsuits? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. I'm here at HIM 17 speaking with privacy attorney Adam Green of the law firm Davis Wright Tremaine. Adam will be speaking to us about some of the trends that he sees involving privacy and security of health data and breaches. Hi, Adam. Hi. How are you? Good. So now, Adam, you were speaking here at HIMSS about breach notification. Based on what you see, are covered entities and business associates getting any better identifying and assessing whether they've had a breach and doing timely, proper notification? And what seems to be giving them the most trouble still with breaches and identifying them? Well, I think entities are doing better. I think you know the, the breach notification rule is becoming a bit old hat, but I think there's still a lot of challenge with no one necessarily agrees on what qualifies as a quote compromise, and so you know there's I think a lot of confusion as to is something still a breach. In there are cases where people might get unencrypted email or a Good Samaritan getting the wrong record and bringing it to the hospital's attention. Those sorts of things may happen every day for organizations, and some organizations treat them as a breach, others don't. So I think that's a big challenge. I think a lot of organizations have gotten a lot more experience, either the good way through tabletop exercises or the bad way through actual breaches with testing their breach response and getting better at that. Although, unfortunately, I think there's still a lot of organizations who haven't really their breach notification process to the test and haven't done a tabletop exercise and it's always better to do that as a tabletop exercise than suddenly discover your flaws when you have a breach that's going to potentially put your organization on the front page. Now, during your presentation, there was also some questions about ransomware. Last year, OCR issued a guidance that said, for the most part, most of these ransomware incidents are reportable breaches. What are you seeing from clients? Are they still not sure what they should do if they have a ransomware incident? Well, I think the ransomware guidance, uh, it has a lot of good in it, and you know, I thought it was helpful to make clear that you cannot assume that a ransomware attack is not a breach. But in addition to the good guidance, I thought there are places where the government potentially went a bit further than most people thought they normally would in defining disclosure, for example, as someone taking control of your systems, even if a human does not actually see the information, bringing in factors to consider for compromise, like whether there's been a loss of integrity or availability. Um, at a minimum, it's made a lot of people rethink how they approach breach notification analysis, um, because suddenly you know, things that may not have looked like a breach a few years ago, like a loss of availability of information, they suddenly have to reconsider and decide whether that alone may make it a breach. And so I think we're all still getting kind of our feet on the ground with respect to that ransomware guidance and its impact. Also during your presentation, the subject of having certain technologies, whether it's monitoring or DLP, and having the technology but not turning on the functions, and then all of a sudden there's a breach. What do you have to say about that? Well, I'm a big fan of technical safeguards. I, I guess I'm a little bit of a pessimist on human nature that you can have the best policies in the world from an administrative standpoint, but people are still going to do whatever is most efficient and convenient for them, regardless of whether it complies with your policies. And so there's no substitute for technical safeguards, like having DLP that will block that email from going out or encryption software that will automatically encrypt I think, though, the challenge is some people do those technical safeguards but don't turn them on all the way. 
and so they installed DLP software and monitoring mode only because of the potential ramifications of blocking people's emails. And at that point, I'm not sure, I'd, if I'm dealing with a class action litigation, I'd rather not have the DLP software at all than have the software that watched the information go out the door, could have stopped it, but I didn't have it configured to stop it because I think that's a really hard sell to make to a jury, for example. So I think the technology is great, but just make sure you're utilizing it in a reasonable fashion that's going to be respected in a court of law, for example. So now, speaking of breaches, as we know, whenever there's a breach or a large breach, there's usually a class action lawsuit or more than one that gets filed. There are class action lawsuits pending against Anthem, Primera, Blue Cross, uh, Horizon Blue Cross, as well as many other suits involving other breaches. Any new trends that you see developing in terms of how the courts are viewing these cases? Breach suits have often been dismissed in the past. Is that changing at all? I think in the majority of cases, the courts are still dismissing these cases based on a lack of standing. But I think there is a growing minority where the court is more willing to entertain novel concepts of harm, if you will, and whether someone's been harmed. Because to be successful in, in litigation, you generally have to prove standing, prove that you've been harmed. And even if you can't prove identity theft, I think a minority of courts are more open to the idea that a loss of privacy may itself have some inherent harm. But that's still, I think, a minority of opinions. Now, what'll be interesting is we've got the FTC case in LabMD, where the FTC is really interpreting their statute to hold that there's a harm where there's been a security breach, even if no one has actually suffered kind of identity theft or something like that. That is going to go to the court for a court to decide. It'll be interesting whether, you know, that's unique to the FTC statute, whether that will have an impact on other class action suits that are outside the FTC Act. And the one other area would be OCR is working on a new regulation where they would share a portion of penalties or settlements with, quote, harmed individuals. And they're still trying to figure out what a harmed individual really is in this case. It'll be interesting to see when that regulation does get proposed and ultimately finalized, if that has an impact on class action. If judges will say, well, if it's considered a harmed individual under HIPAA, we should consider them harmed for other purposes too. So I think all these things leave in flux the idea of whether future class actions are going to be successful. And speaking of enforcement, during HIMSS, Devin McGraw revealed that the on-site uh, compliance audits are sort of on hold. Do you think we'll ever actually see these audits take place on-site, or is it either beyond the resources of OCR, maybe even the direction that OCR may be going under a new HHS secretary, perhaps? I think more likely than not, we will see them eventually. I think the hold is more so at this point due to the desk audits taking longer than were expected. And so they want to finish the desk audits before they start the on-site audits. And they expected to have finished the desk audits already, but haven't yet. There's certainly the possibility that they don't want to proceed with the on-site audits until a new political is in place. But they've been doing some rather large enforcement actions while we're awaiting a new political director of OCR. I wouldn't expect that they would proceed with those large enforcement actions, but feel like they couldn't proceed with the audit program. So I think that it's probably not due to the change in administration that the audit program is being held up. That being said, we don't have a new director yet. 
once we get a new director, they may have very strong feelings one way or the other. They may feel like on-site audits are entirely appropriate and should continue and maybe even be accelerated, or they could be feel that the on-site audits are overly burdensome and not in line with the administration's priorities. So it remains to be seen. We'll have to wait for a new director and then you know, wait to find out what that new director's thoughts on HIPAA are. Any other cases besides the LabMD, FTC case, or besides any of the big class action lawsuits that we've seen with the breaches that we should be watching for that touch upon maybe new terrain for health data privacy and security issues? None that immediately come to mind. I mean, certainly, you know, we've had some big headlines recently. So we had a Supreme Court decision in Spokio that a lot of people were looking to help determine how concrete a harm has to be. And they kind of punted a bit. And so you've got different courts interpreting that case completely differently. So we didn't get the resolution that we were waiting for. And that case is still going through the processes now that it's been essentially remanded. And so we could, you know, that case I think is still worth watching. The fact that the state attorneys general did not bring an action against Anthem, I thought was very interesting. That they essentially thought that um, they had already invested enough money and that they, on the most part, had reasonable safeguards in place. I thought that was very interesting. Certainly, you know, the places to watch would be some of those big 2014 breaches like Anthem and some of the smaller but still multi-million person breaches, how those class actions pan out, and that remains to be seen. Thanks, Adam. I've been speaking to attorney Adam Green. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.